Thank you so much. Well, this is a very interesting passage. I, I don't know what you thought about it as we got into it, but I've been thinking about this deeply all week and puzzling over it. And uh, here's this question that you have to answer. This seems to me one of the just the most important questions to understand this passage, but then also to think about our own lives. And the question is this. Jesus is wandering through Jerusalem and he comes across this group of people next to this pool. You can go to Jerusalem. If you come with us next October, we can go and see the excavated pool. I think they found exactly the one and they're all waiting there. Lots and lots of invalids and sick people. And the, the, the idea was that every now and again, the water would get stirred up possibly from an inflow of water upstream from one of the streams. Common superstition posited that angels stirred up the water and then the first one into the stirred up water would get healed. That was the superstitious arrangement around this. And Jesus walks, there's all these people who are sick and he picks on this one man. And this fellow's been there 38 years. So he's not a young man. He probably hasn't been sitting next to the pool nonstop for 38 years. In all likelihood, some friends or neighbors would carry him down there when it seemed that maybe been heavy rains and they were expecting the water to be stirred up. They'd carry him down and he'd sit there and he'd try and get into the water. And he's been doing this for 38 years. He's been unwell. And then Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? Who wouldn't want to get well? Why does he need to ask that question? And the man gives a very interesting non-answer. It's the answer, it's hard to understand, to really get into this, the guy's head. But it's, it's sort of the answer of an exasperated, unwell, grumpy old man who goes, well, duh, obviously I want to get well, but look, the problem is... I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So yes, of course I want to get well, Jesus. What a stupid question. But I can't. And I've given up all hope. And I'm just here, day after day, getting trodden on, left behind, pushed out. But I'm still here. And so he goes, ah, oh, okay, well get up pick up your mat and walk and it the man hadn't asked jesus to heal him if you noticed that it's really an interesting he says well i want to get well well he sort of implies he wants to get well and jesus looks at him and just tells him okay well get up your mat and walk it's okay do that jesus do that guy the man doesn't even know who Jesus is. We see that later in the story. There's no interaction. Jesus doesn't know his name. He it's just an anonymous drive-by healing. And, and Jesus' instruction has two parts that are both significant. So what's the first command? What, well, actually, there's probably really three commands, but you can understand it in two. The first command is get up. So be well. 
And then the second command is the first command is get up, be well. And then the second command is go ahead and wander around in Jerusalem, breaking the Sabbath law. Okay, that's the second command. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus did not have to tell the guy to pick up his mat and walk. He could just have said anything. He, he didn't have to tell him to pick up his mat. Though, again, there are echoes of this from another healing, aren't there? So get up, go break the Sabbath. Okay. We'll come back to both of those. But I wanted to think, I wanted to think in the first instance about healing and wellness, and then we'll show the connection to the Sabbath and Sabbath breaking. So does God want you to be well? And this raises a whole lot of questions for me in our day and age. Did you know, for example, the our old office number 666 apparently has been leased out to a, guess what? No, well, a wellness store. Isn't that cool? Who knows what it's going to be? I mean, there's the well store a little further down the road, the wellness store. So, so we're going to have a wellness store next to us. I, I think that's going to be awesome. I, I don't know how we're going to work together, but I'm sure there'll be lots of opportunities for, for working together to bring wellness to our community, or maybe not. So I wanted to think, though, about wellness. We are, are we not, a culture that is, let me not say obsessed with wellness, but boy, it's high on the list of our priorities, isn't it? In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you remember, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, this is the fellow who identified, we sort of have a, a hierarchy of needs. And, you know, the first one is sort of basic, all of your basic survival, food and water and security and so on. And, and because our culture is so good at having all those needs met, we can then actually invest a lot of time and energy in wellness, because now we're not surviving, we're focusing on wellness. So what is that? I wanted to make one comment about the idolatry of wellness before we get into it. The idolatry of well, an idol is when you take something that's good and you make it ultimate. Right? You take something that's good and you make it ultimate. Being well, being self-actualized, living at peace, being pain-free, having good mental health, feeling energized and alive and relationally integrated and whole, that's fantastic, right? It's a good thing. But when we make it our goal in life, when we make it the ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. An idol. And, and of course, the problem with any idol, any ultimate thing that's not God that we make ultimate, it actually fails to deliver what it promises, doesn't it? In fact, I would suggest that making an idol out of your own wellness is pretty much guaranteed to keep you in a state of unwellness. Shall I say that again? Making an idol out of your own wellness is pretty much guaranteed to keep you in a state of unwellness. I'll tell you why. There's a few reasons. One, we're not meant to be relentlessly self-focused. It's actually destructive. There's a, there's a terrible burden of always thinking about ourselves, our aches, our pains, 
the trauma in our past, the, the ongoing dramas in our lives, like, and how our insomnia, our anxiety, now all those things are real and horrible and, and can be dealt with. But, but you know what? A, a idolatrous focus on the wellness of ourselves is a self-defeating, is it? Now, it can produce some good results. I mean, obviously, if you've ignored yourself, like go to the dentist and do all those good things and look after yourself. But when it becomes, moves from a good thing to this is the thing that drives me. Now, that, that there's an idolatry of wellness, but that idolatry is actually supported by the economics of wellness. And our culture invests an enormous amount of money in keeping us in a, in a heightened state of awareness of our lack of wellness so it can sell us solutions to our unwellness. The shop opening up next to us are going to have to pay, I don't know what they're going to be paying, $70,000, $80,000 a year in rent. That's a lot of wellness products they got to sell to pay the rent. It's a lot of people who have to be un dissatisfied with their current state of wellness so that they'll purchase whatever new product is on offer so that they can pay the rent. And so, and wellness, a, a, an idolatrous focus on wellness comes out of a, I mean, a fundamentally consumer capitalist worldview that says all the significant problems in the world can be solved by what I can purchase and consume. Whether it's products, crystals, anti-aging supplements, they're awesome, NMN, resveratrol, metformin. There's a whole range of things that are actually, there's data to show they're good for you. There's all sorts of things that are actually really good, but we think that, and this is how, it, that, that if that there's stuff out there that if I buy, it'll solve my deepest problems and our society is very invested in that. So yeah, 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 yeah. But then the third thing is that the point I want to make is the fragility of our wellness. Our, our wellness is fragile, isn't it? Do you reckon? Okay, so let's go. Let's do like the bloke who was healed. Let's call him Fred. It's a common Jewish name at the time. So Fred was 38, he'd been, he'd been an invalid for 38 years. Say he'd got injured as a 15 year old, maybe. Maybe he'd been out doing something dumb on his farm and you know, he'd run and he got run over by a donkey or something and now he's an invalid. So maybe he's 48. Is he still alive today? How long did his wellness last? Only until the next ache or pain or disease came and took his life. So the fragility of our wellness energizes the economics of wellness because we think we can buy stuff that'll make us better, that feeds the idol of wellness. I can get better. I must get better. This is what life is all about. And, and that is all fed by this idea that, heck, we all know we're going to die. Like there's a deep, this is the, this is the dilemma we're in as human beings. We, we face this inevitability of our own sure and certain death as the liturgy and the funeral service says and you go well geez how do we deal with that and and that means we all know how fragile we are you does that make sense okay so what do we do with that hold that thought
I'll, I'll give you here's a spoiler alert. The only approach to wellness that stops it being an idol, that keeps, that, that challenges the economics of it, it's not something you can buy, and that deals with its underlying fragility, the only answer to lasting wellness is, come on, we're in a church, people. What's the answer to every question that's ever asked at church or Sunday school? Yeah, Jesus, the only answer. The only answer is, is Jesus. At a deep, profound, spiritual, relational, emotional, eternal view. I think I said this last week. It's a quote or a thought I, I got from Dallas Willard who said, that there is no problem we face that cannot be solved if we seriously and persistently follow and obey Jesus. There's no problem we face to, that, that cannot be dealt with if we consistently and persistently follow Jesus. Okay, that's interesting. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. That raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Holy moly, what are some questions that raises? Well, I'll tell you the questions it raises for me. Here are the questions. One, does Jesus heal today? Is healing possible? Is wellness, is a miraculous intervention, is it actually possible for Jesus to heal today? Okay, oh, actually, there's a previous question. Sorry, I, I got that wrong. One, can Jesus heal First question, is he powerful enough to heal today? Second question, does he heal today? Third question is, will he heal? And then you've got some subsequent questions, why and why not? Okay, my hypothesis is for, the same, for you and I, we're the same as the bloke sitting next to the pool. We're unwell. We know we're unwell. We all know. Scratch the surface. We're all going to die. We're running out of runway. Our lives are in varying states of chaos and disarray and varying states of uh, sort of places of wonder and glory. We're both, right? Our lives are unbelievably good. We're the richest, happiest, healthiest, best fed, most affluent population that has ever existed in human, in human history. And I think we're getting better. We're going to live longer. We're going to be healthier. We're going to conquer many, many diseases. We're understanding ourselves better. We're getting along better. Isn't it fabulous? It's wonderful you know, apart from a nuclear winter, which could also solve, you know, a warming earth. So, you know, there's winners and losers, who knows? There's all sorts of things that could go wrong, but there's an enormous amount that's going right, but we're all still a mess. So then the question is, well, does, can Jesus heal? So if, if, if our hypothesis is Jesus is the answer to our unwellness, you've got to grapple with these questions and they're not easy questions. Can Jesus heal? Well, yes, I'll tell you how. very quickly. <laughs> oh, gosh. If you think of healing in whatever form, psychological, relational, physical, at one level, healing is a rearranging of matter that has gotten out of order. Right? So, and all matter is, is energy. 
So here we're going to do a bit of science. So all everything is energy. All the matter that makes us up is, is energy in a particular form. And what makes us sick is when that matter is out of order. So for example, what is cancer at its simplest level? It's a bunch of cells that are multiplying without order. And there's chaos at the cellular level that kills you. Okay, so this is why the energy healers are right and also wrong. So new age energy healing is an understanding that actually having your energy rightly aligned is critical to wellness. I just don't think they understand fully and the source of energy and don't tap into the right energy that's powerful enough to heal us. So who is the source of energy in the world? God. Or God is pure energy who has created everything, everything, you know, which answers the question, where does all this energy come from? Our answer is God. The answer of people with no faith is, I don't know. Okay, so they posit a primal miracle based on faith upon which every other scientific thing unfolds. We just posit God instead of just, I don't know. So you say, there's God's energy. So, and then Jesus is the word, is the perfect energy of God made incarnate. And as the creator, Jesus can can direct and redirect energy and matter to bring order out of chaos, which is the primal thing God has been doing in this world. That from Genesis 1, there's, there's chaos in the world and God's energy, God's word, God's light, God's life, God's love orders that in order to make it amenable to human life and existence and flourishing. And what Jesus does, he says to this guy, you're an invalid, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak and I'm going to bring the energy that created the world to bear on your life, to reorder the, 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 the cells in your body so that they function the way they're meant to function and you flourish. And the Jesus who did that yesterday is the Jesus who is still alive and can do that today. So can Jesus heal? Yes, because he's God. And you got to, you know, okay. Does Jesus heal today? Yes. Can he make you well? Yes. Yes. Is he in the, I mean, yes. Deeply, powerfully, yes. But only if we're not vampires. Okay. Now, if you're, if, now, shall I tell you what I mean by that? Because you're all looking a little confused. Okay, so particularly for those of you who've been in church a while, who are good Protestant Christians, here's the temptation for good Protestant Christians. We come to Jesus for the blood, but not for anything else. We love the blood of Jesus that brings us forgiveness and a ticket to heaven. But we're not that interested in the life of Jesus. That actually brings us restoration and challenge and obedience and healing and integration now. I love that's a Dallas Willard line as well. Protestant Christians are vampires. We just want the blood of Jesus, but not the life of Jesus, not the wholeness of him. It's, a, it's not a pretty image, but boy, it's confronting, isn't it? Do I, am I just interested in what Jesus' blood can bring for me? Forgiveness then and a ticket to heaven. Or... Do I believe that the Jesus whose blood was shed for sure is the Jesus who is actually still alive and who makes available to us life with him in his kingdom, in his family, and makes available to us a, a divine energy 
to heal and restore and make right. Now, of course, there are some questions there. A big challenge for our culture is that we can think that wellness is a life of pain-free suffer and suffering-free existence, isn't it? If Jesus is the most well human being who has ever lived, if Jesus is the archetype of wellness, the incarnation of what a of human flourishing is like, what was his life like? Oh, the Bible says he learned obedience through what he suffered. That, that wellness, like there's a, in this side, and I don't know, understand why God ordered the world, but the true life comes when we lay down our lives. True life, wellness, genuine restoration and reorientation of the world happens through sacrifice, not through buying supplements or, or going and getting a massage or medicating your problems with alcohol or workaholism or pornography, or anger, or gossip, like true wellness comes from being connected to the energy that comes from the divine, from Jesus himself involved with our lives now, and allowing him to heal us from the inside, hey? Because the wellness we need is from our hearts, and he changes our hearts, and, and the, the path of wellness, if Jesus is to be trusted is the path then of suffering sacrifice for the good of others. Okay, so you go. But hang on, Mark. Does that mean I've got to be a doormat? So we had a really great, I think you said, got to look after yourself, take care of yourself so you can serve others. Spot on. That's exactly right. Why do I get enough sleep? Why do I stay fit? Why do I look after my body? Why do I do whatever I can to to, to make my, to keep my body as well as it can be? Well, it's because this body is the only vehicle I have to love and serve other people. That's it. And, and you want to do that well. So that's the framework. How do you rescue wellness from idolatry? How do you rescue? And, and we can bring that in the church. We can, we can start, the church can be captive to this. We can be vampires who just want Jesus to make us happy now in the moment for ourselves. And you go, no, no, Jesus is spectacularly disinterested in pandering to our consumerist, idolatrous approach to wellness. What he wants to do is put us on a far better path that might be the path of suffering and tears and sacrifice, but it's the path of true humanity, which is to say, I'll love God with all my being and I love my neighbor as myself. So why do you work out? So that your body's in good shape so you can love people. Why do you go and see a therapist and work on your family of origin and your trauma and your brokenness that's so that you can love people now going forward? Why do you, why do you go to the doctor and look after your physical health so you can love people? Why do you see a marriage counselor so that you can love your, your partner and raise your kids in a slightly better way. Like, it's okay. Like, so should you ask Jesus to heal you? Well, I'd say, be careful what you ask. 
Be careful. I think that's why Jesus asked the bloke, do you want to be well? Do you really? Do you really? And I think Jesus is here today saying to you, do you really want to be well? How badly do you want to be well? Do you want to be well so much that, that you'll do whatever it takes to be truly eternally well? You, won't, you don't want to just settle with the surface wellness. You want your life to match. You want meaning and integration and wholeness from the inside out. You want this whole enterprise of your existence to count for something and to be ordered in a way that makes a difference for all eternity. Do you want that? <laughs> you know, that's, and, and you want it enough that if the only way you can get it is by wholehearted abandonment to Jesus, that you'll still grab it. Do you want to be well? And really like a... I want to be well enough just to keep the pain away, but not too much challenge. <laughs> I want to be well enough on my terms. You know, and, and I understand that. I think there's a, I think the Christian life, the wellness that Jesus offers, it's a bit like marriage. For a marriage to work, it's an all or nothing undertaking. <laughs> like you're all in or you're not. Maybe it's a bit more like no, it's, you're all in for marriage to work. You got to be all in. That's why cohabiting is not the same as marriage. Marriage is like, here's this person that I am bound to no matter what catastrophes life throws at me. I am bound to this person and they're bound to me. And then we're in it. Come hell or high water and you'll have both in life, right? Okay, and I think Christian faith is that. Like, you know the wellness of Jesus when you go, geez, I'm, I'm bound to Jesus. I'm, I'm trusting him to make me well and no other. I don't have anywhere else to go, and I'm going to walk with him no matter what. I'm, there's, he has the words of eternal life. Do you really want to be? Are you, so that's why Jesus says to people, you know, count the cost. Count the cost before you just jump in. I don't know. And then, okay, so what do you do? How does Jesus heal today? Well, you ask him to heal you. You ask him to make you well. And let me tell you, sometimes he'll heal you physically for sure. Won't he? He'll make you well. Sometimes graciously, God will show up and just, boom, he can rearrange the cancer cells to make it go away. Sometimes, boom, he can rearrange the anxiety disorder in your head to give you peace. Boom. Sometimes, boom, he can rearrange your eating disorder. Boom. Sometimes he can pull you back from drowning and bring you back to life. Sometimes. But what he will always do, if you ask him, if you seek him, you will find him. What he will always do is welcome you in his home, into the kingdom of the heavens, where your ultimate, full, complete healing will occur. Sometimes it'll be physical. But not always, because you're going to die anyway. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We are outwardly wasting away, but being, anyone know that verse? Inwardly renewed. Like I look around here, most of us are, we've had some experience of outwardly wasting away. The question is, what experience have you and I really had at inward renewal, the wellness that comes from the inside out? That's the promise. That's guaranteed. 
take Jesus at his word. There is a promise there. He will, and he can heal and he can make you well for eternity. And yes, along the way, he can sort out your relationships, heal the trauma from your past, reorder how you think about the world and sometimes bring physical healing. He can do all of that. But what he wants to do is work on our hearts first and foremost. And so then what about the Sabbath? Why does he tell the guy to pick up his mat and walk? Well, he starts a whole conflict with the Jewish leaders about the Sabbath. And, you, and there's a lot to be said about that. But I'll tell you very briefly, the Sabbath regulations represented first century Jewish wellness stores. This was a way the Jews of the time thought they could control the chaos of life. They could ensure that God blessed them and healed them. And they could make their lives work. If they, if they circumscribed everything with detailed legislation, it's a human edifice to control chaos and make God sort our stuff out. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to get that. The Jews didn't get it from Sabbath observance. You and I will not get it from psychotherapy or crystals or wellness stores. The only place you'll get it is from Jesus reordering your life from the inside out. That's the conflict with the, with the Sabbath. And there's a lot more to be said about it. So the challenge is 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 you know get up do you want to be well if you do get up follow jesus and go into the world not trusting any of the alternatives that are put before us to try and think we can have a meaningful good life free of suffering and embrace the life of jesus don't be a vampire live for him embrace his life in every part of your life and let's build a church family that is well from the inside out Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come and speak to us in an ongoing way now and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday that your life will flow into our life, that we will want to be well. We will be well as you come and heal us and restore us and renew us. Come and do this, I pray, Jesus. Amen.